Well, growing up, uh, one of the things that I wish that I knew was the future. Have you ever had that desire? Like, I wish I knew what happened. I particularly felt that feeling around exam times, right? Uh, there was a moment for me in my last year of um, theological study where I was flat stick. There were things going on. We were trying to work out whether we were moving straight from college to New Zealand or not. And, and so basically for my last New Testament exam, I form guided. I just went, right, I'm not going to have time to prepare all the texts that we're supposed to have prepared. And so what I'll do is I'll, I'll just pick the one that most probably is going to be in there and a little look at another I remember sitting in the exam room, uh, uh, sitting down and praying, Lord, please let this question be in there. Uh, I had it all ready. Uh, they said, okay, you can turn the paper over. I turned it over, scanned the questions. It wasn't there. A few friends knew that I'd done that around the room. And, and there were a couple of kind of looks that were like, man, I'm praying for you. <laughs> I turned the paper back over. I put my head on the desk and prayed again, Lord, if there's any way possible, please change the questions on this paper. <laughs> I turned it over again and it was the same. And I'm like, no. Uh, but then I got through, I was able to do it. My languages were at a point where I, I could do that and I was thankful to God for it. But how great it would be to be able to know the future. Because then you could work out which questions to study for. You could know when to buy a house, when not to buy a house, what shares to buy. Uh, you'd know which, which person is actually going to be a valuable friend and which person is just going to not give friendship back. And, and see, there'd be a whole heap of things that would make life easier, wouldn't there? When I was a kid, I, I wanted to know the future. Now, Christianity doesn't ever promise that we will know the steps. God's not holding out to us that you, you'll be able to know exactly what the future will look like. But he does give us the end point of the future. In fact, if you come to his word, you see in this passage we looked at um, last week and a little bit today, we get a picture of the future where we can be absolutely certain of what it looks like. Come with me to Philippians 2 verse 10, just back a bit from where we started tonight when Caitlin read. Paul says this, At the name of Jesus... Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the future. That's the reality that will shape the future of everything and everyone. That every knee will bow before this man Jesus and treat him as king. And every tongue will confess, willingly or unwillingly, that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the future. And the thing that we miss as Christians is we miss that we actually need to live in light of that future. We get so caught up in the, in the here and now and the little steps between uh, where I am today and, and where I'll be that day when Jesus comes back, even though it could be tonight, tomorrow. And we get caught up with those things and we kind of sink back and retreat. And we don't live out the reality of our future. So, Given we've seen that picture of the future, we saw it last week. We saw the humility of Jesus uh, giving up his position at the Father's right hand, becoming uh, human flesh, dying in our place. We saw the glory of Jesus as God raised him to life to that point where in the future every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. The question for us is, what are we to do? If you're following along in that little, uh, or that big book you got handed if you came in, or the one you brought back from last week. Hey, show of hands, who brought their book from last week? Was, yeah. yeah, well done. Good, good job. Save the trees. Yeah. Um, but uh, in that, you'll see we're in an outline, and we're at the point, what are we to do? Well, Paul tells us what we're to do. As we think through individually, and for us as a church, where we're to go, Paul tells us how we live in light of that future reality, the humility and the glory of God. It's in verse 12 of chapter 2. 
Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What are we to do, given the humility of Jesus and the glory of Jesus? We are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean to go away and be like, right, I've got, to, I've got to attain my salvation myself by being a good person and by doing all these things. No, no, no. We're going to see very clearly that it's God who's working in us in verse 13. What he's saying is we actually need to act. We can't just go, great, I know the end score. I'm just going to sit back on the bench uh, and just kind of watch the game go on. He's not saying here, as we think through this, as we work out our, our salvation with fear and trembling, Paul's not saying we don't need to be like afraid as in cower from God and be like, oh, I'm so, I'm so afraid of God. Well, if you don't trust in Jesus, we ought to be afraid of God because we will experience his judgment. Our knee will bow at the end if we haven't come to him. And so if that's you tonight, please hear the hope that comes from Jesus, that he's died in your place, that he's risen again. And if you trust in him, you will have life forever. There is no need to fear judgment and, and, and what comes after death if you are in Jesus. But we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, recognizing that our role and what we are to do as God's people and having that same attitude of Christ Jesus matters. We need to take seriously God's call to humbly and sacrificially follow Jesus. We need to work that out and live that out. See, Christianity, it's not a spectator sport. It's not. If Jesus is your king, you're on the field. You've got a jersey on and a number on your back. And you've been given skills and abilities and gifts and opportunities to be used for God's glory and in humility to love the people he has put you around. We're on the field. And so we are to work out our salvation. We're to trust Jesus and keep trusting in Jesus individually and as a church. Remembering verse 13 and have a look at it. It is God who is working in you, both to will and work according to his good purpose. God works through us. Given who he's made you and how he's shaped you, he works through us to see Jesus' name held high on that last day and people loved. And so that is what we had to do. We had to work at living out our salvation. But how are we to do it? How do we actually do this as a church? Well, Paul is clear in this section that we're to live out our salvation uh, by saying a few things we're not to do. Number one, we're not to live out our salvation by grumbling and arguing. And you see that? We're not to kind of go around and be like, oh, Jesus is coming back and I'm going to do this stuff now. Well, I don't like the way you're doing it. I think we should wear blue shirts, not red shirts for our greeting teams. And, you know, I think blue shirts are way better. Red shirts are too bright. And, and then like, no, but I really like red shirts. And kind of getting all caught up in all sorts of stuff and what will happen here and what will happen there and getting angry at one another. No. Now is not the time for that. Uh, there is no time for that. Jesus is coming back. Paul says, no, we had to live by fully giving ourselves to Jesus. Verse 14, he says, blameless and pure. We're to live like our Savior, trusting him at his word and living his way and making sure we're different from the world around us. Verse 16, holding firm to the word of life, letting God's word shape the way that we live. How are you going at letting God's word shape the way you you think, the way you treat your boss or, or your family or your flatmates or your friends? How are you going at living for Jesus here and now? Paul says we should be shining like stars in the heaven. See, that means 
that we individually and as a church, if we're Christians, we need to make sure that we, we are not shrinking back, kind of molding into the fabric of society, pulling our heads down so no one can see us. The thing about stars at night is they pierce the darkness. You walk out and you see the stars, you're like, whoa, that's just, it's amazing, it's so bright. You know, there's, there's black and then there's star. Uh, and that is what we are called to be like. Uh, one of the questions that I've always had about why God created the world that he did is, why did he create the universe so big? You ever thought of that? Like, is us here on earth, there might be other life forms, I don't know. If we find other life forms, Christians should be the first to get on the spaceship to go there to tell them about Jesus. Because that's what we need to be doing, it's mission, right? Not just the end of the earth, the end of the universe. Um, but why do you make it so big? Why so big? Do you know that the the closest sun we can see, the closest star we can see is 4.21 light years away? 4.21 years traveling at the speed of light to get there. That's a long way, but we can see it. It's shining brightly. The furthest away you can see with a human eye is 16,308 light years away. It'll take you 16,308 years traveling at the speed of light to get there. Why did God make it so big? Take up so much space. It wasn't very economical. (laughs) He He just made it like that. As I went through this passage, I got struck with, with a sense of, partly because he's saying, be like those stars. That though they are so small and so far away, shine and light up the night. That in a world that is so dark, be like those stars, shining the light of our maker. The word who is light and life. The one in whom there is no darkness at all. Live like him. And that means we as a church and we as individuals need to act trusting in the completed work of Jesus for us at the cross and and live out lives that point people to him no matter what the cost. We're created to shine like stars in this world. That's what we are here for. So as a church, we've been talking through this big 2030 vision. And this 2030 vision is, is really our way of saying, well, we've seen what the scriptures say about humbly loving the world and, and, and glorifying God in the end. And we've got those two things in place. How do we live that out? What do we actually do as a church? And so we've, we've listed these four big things that we're asking God to do in and through us by the year 2030. Now, these aren't kind of given from God on high. God, you know, it wasn't that the staff team went up Mount Eden one day and, and there were these kind of stone tablets. And we're like, oh, sweet. And there's only four things on them. And we're like, this is what God wants us to do. And we heard God's voice. No, no, no. Uh, we've kind of gone, given that our mission as a church is, well, this, seeing 120,000 more people in Auckland captivated, grounded, and growing in Christ, given that's our, our mission, what we want to do then is to see these four things happen by the year 2030, because we think that will be the, the levers to pull to see the most people glorifying God and the most people coming to know Him and trust Him. And so what do these four things look like? Well, we told them to you last week. You've got a little vision booklet there that explains where we're going. It's a great resource to pass to friends or family that might want to think through supporting this vision. But what are each of those things about? Well, here we've put together uh, four quick videos to give you an idea of what each of these four areas, grow, plant, train, and build, are all about. Have a look. I'm excited to see God grow church to 2030 people by 2030 because that will mean a whole bunch of people have come from death to life. They've been saved from hell into an eternity with Jesus and that's a great hope to have. See, there's a number of ways that you can grow a crowd. 
Uh, we could grow to 2,000 people quite easily, actually, if it was just human strategy and, and gathering people. People get excited to gather for all sorts of reasons, but that's not what we're asking God to do. We're asking God to grow a church. And the way that's going to happen is as people meet Jesus who don't yet know Jesus, as we share the news about Jesus with friends, with family members, with strangers, as we reach out into new areas of Auckland City and see people come from death to life. See, heaven and hell are real, uh, and I don't want to see people spending eternity under the judgment of God, the condemnation of God uh, that they deserve, that I deserve. Uh, Instead, I'd be much more excited to see people recognize Jesus for who he is and find forgiveness from him. I hope that excites you as well. And I do hope this is something that we get on board with, not just in our prayers, but in our proclamation about Jesus. Because that's the way that God's going to answer this prayer. Through our words, through us reaching out into our community and seeing people come from death to life. You know, to go from where we are currently, I think around 350, 400 people up to 2030. At the current rate of our growth, that's going to mean somewhere between 800 to 1,000 people becoming Christian. That's fantastic. So I'm excited to see that happen. I'm excited to get to know each of those 800 to 1,000 people, whether that be uh, here in this life or in eternity, because that's where they're going to join us now. Uh, So that's what I'm praying for. I'm excited for. I look forward to seeing what God will do amongst us. As we long and pray for more and more people to come to know Jesus, there's a reality that reaching out into new areas of the Auckland city, new areas of the country, uh, is going to see that happen for more and more people. Uh, There's a bunch of people who just won't travel half an hour to make it into where we currently meet for church. But by planting a congregation in the north of Auckland or in the west of Auckland or south or east of Auckland, that's going to enable us to reach out into those communities, to share the gospel with new neighbours, new strangers, new friends, uh, who, who may not travel in their car half an hour on a Sunday to come to church but who, as we get to know them as new neighbours, we can share life with them, we can share the gospel with them. And through that, we can see them come to know Jesus and have eternal life with Him. Church planting is a fantastic uh, strategy to see more and more people be saved, be saved from hell into heaven. And that's what we long to see happen, not just in Auckland City, but across the whole country. And so I'm excited to see church plants happen down in Dunedin, where there's a whole bunch of university students who are currently really throwing their life away. Uh, And they think that that's a great life. But we can go down there and share the gospel with them. Palmerston North, similarly, Hamilton, uh, Tauranga, uh, where lots of people have retired and moved to Tauranga thinking that that's the way to live out the end of life. But we can go there with a message of eternity and see people come to a a solid hope that lasts beyond death. So church planning is fantastic and I'm praying and looking forward to seeing what God will do as we seek to see more and more people come to know Jesus through the planting of churches in Auckland City and across the country. Hi, I'm Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here at Auckland EV. New Zealand has a rich history of being a missionary sending nation. But what I think we've failed to do is to raise up gospel workers for the harvest field in our own backyard. My experience growing up was that people were encouraged to live out their Christian faith but never really heard anyone encouraging others to consider being a full-time gospel worker. I myself never expected to be in gospel ministry the way that I am today. But if we want to see churches planted, if we want to see people reached with the good news of Jesus, we need more gospel workers, many, many more gospel workers. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus tells us that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
And so Jesus tells us to pray to the Lord of the harvest, to, to pray for more gospel workers to be raised up. And it's our prayer here at Auckland EV that by the year 2030, we would see 30 full-time gospel workers freed up for the harvest field. Whether that be as pastors or as church planters, as ministry or parachurch workers, as overseas missionaries. In the last seven years, we have already trained five of those. And our first apprentice has just started as a pastor back in Te Aumutu. Training gospel workers is something we need to continue to keep committing to as a church, as we think through theological education and formation. It's something that we'll need to sacrifice to see happen, and, and something that we'll need to keep bringing before our Heavenly Father in prayer. Imagine if through our willingness to use the resources and energy that God's given us, uh, God raised up a fleet of gospel workers through us. That's something that I'm committed to praying to, and I'd love for you to join me in doing so. Steve. Um, I'm one of the members of the exec here at Auckland EV and I've been uh, working as a member of the building committee as we've been looking for a new home uh, for Auckland EV. Uh, I'm really excited about the possibility and the, the future that uh, getting a new building will hold for our church. I see that as a really important thing both for the short term and for the long term. Uh, in the long term obviously we want to see the gospel spread throughout Auckland and New Zealand and having a training hub from which that can happen uh, I think is going to be an incredibly important way to achieve that. Um, in the short term uh, it's important too that our current growth rate will have outgrown the capacity of this place um, by the end of this year and so it really is uh, something that we need to focus on within the next 12 months. Uh, in order to find a new home for this church. I'm also excited by uh, the prospect of a new building, uh, having seen in a previous church what a building project can bring about. Uh, Anna and I attended a church in Sydney prior to this uh, where a major renovation project happened, uh, which increased the capacity of an existing church building very significantly. Um, it was amazing to see the impacts uh, that completion of that project had on that church. Um, the numbers of attenders increased very quickly after that. Um, the giving uh, throughout the congregation also increased. Uh, the uses to which uh, that building was put extended incredibly. Um, not just the normal ministry that you'd expect through preaching on a Sunday and gathering together, uh, but also uh, activities like youth, uh, meetings during the week, connect groups, uh, office facilities, one of the questions you might have in respect of this sort of project is, well, why can't we just keep meeting here? Uh, this is a nice facility to be in. Uh, we're all enjoying it here. There's a good sense of community and fellowship that we have. Um, what you might not be aware of is that uh, it is actually difficult um, to maintain relationships uh, with facility providers like schools. Um, there are aspects of our relationship with this school um, that are tenuous at times uh, and a lot of work goes on behind the scenes to maintain our ability to keep meeting here week on week. Another aspect is that as we look to uh, increase the number of campuses uh, from which we look to proclaim the gospel across Auckland, there are a limited number of building options currently, uh, whether they be schools or council facilities or, or whatever. We obviously need to keep a sense of right perspective about a building. Um, it's not about the building, uh, it's about the gospel, it's about Jesus Christ and making him famous in Auckland and, and beyond. But a building is a really important strategic tool for us um, from which to uh, 
train people, uh, to equip people, to send them out uh, into the community to spread the gospel, uh, and also to attract the community in. One of the questions you'll no doubt have about a project of this nature is, well, what will it cost? Um, and the cost will be significant, there's no question of that. Uh, and we estimate uh, approximately $6 million for a project of this size. Um, can we afford it? Um, well, only with God's help. But I think the key question is, uh, what's the cost of not doing it? Uh, what we're looking to do is to bring about God's glory uh, in Auckland and to grow his kingdom in Auckland. And as we think through the amazing benefits that a great gospel training hub will bring uh, to this city and to this country over the next 10, 50, 100 years, it's something to get really excited about. This is a place from which the gospel can go out strongly uh, into our community uh, with great impact uh, under God's guidance. Um, so we need to rely on God uh, for provision in respect of this project. We need to commit to it uh, and we need to pray for great fruit to come from it. Well, there you go. Now, there's a bit of an explanation of those four big things we're asking God to do. To grow Auckland EV to 2,030 people across six Auckland campuses. Uh, that's big. To plant four more local campuses. We've already got our, our morning church location, uni church location, another four uh, locations across Auckland, and another four regional church plants across New Zealand. To train and send 30 full-time people into gospel ministry. Uh, maybe that's you. Maybe you're one of these numbers on this page. And to build a gospel training hub where we can see people equipped and sent out. Now, one of the things about a plan like this is, to have a plan is risky. It's risky because now we've got figures to hold us by. We're not just going, yeah, yeah, we just want to see people captivated, grounded and growing. We're going, actually, what it looks like to do that is we're asking God to do these big things. And you start to think, man, what about if it goes wrong? What about if we run out of money as a church? Or if we have a church split? Or we can't find enough planters? Or there's an economic crash? But I think uh, what Steve said was exactly right. I don't think those things are our greatest risk. Our biggest risk is not having a go at something. It's saying we're just going to sit back and kind of cruise by in some kind of cruise ship church lifestyle where we enjoy it and get to our heavenly destination rather than seeing the humility of Jesus and the glory of Jesus and going, we want to do everything we can in this short lifetime. This blink of an eyelid we have between now and when Jesus should return or when we face death until resurrection happens. This short amount of time, I want to do everything I can to see Jesus' name held high. Uh, we want to be as ambitious for Jesus' glory as the Father is when he raises him up and puts him at his right hand. The thing I'm afraid of is us getting to the end of the year 2030 and saying, you know what, we could have done more. We should have done more. And actually, as I reflect on these figures, I reckon the 2030 plans, they're actually, they're pretty doable. Uh, there's a possibility about them, which I think is good. And one of the things I'm asking is, uh, are we aiming too low? Like God's glory deserves to see everyone in Auckland trusting him, everyone in New Zealand, everyone in the world. We should be praying for that, shouldn't we? But here's a great start. Why don't we start here and ask God to do this and maybe do it sooner and to do it through other churches as well and see other people proclaiming this news of Jesus. We're not saying we're doing this alone. But we're saying we need to make sure we use the resources and opportunities he's given us, the skills and gifts and talent and time to see that happen. Well, it's all very well to have this big overarching plan, uh, but how do we fit into it? What does it actually mean for us? And you see in your outline, I've got uh, in the what does it mean for me section, uh, the letter P, the letter S and the letter P. I'd love to be able to fill those out for you in a second. 
But what it means for us is actually looking to Jesus. See, as Paul has shown us that we're to have the same attitude of Christ, that he's given up his life for the lost, we need to have that same attitude. That means we need to give up the things that we hold tight, our freedoms and our comforts, and say, I'm in. I want to see Jesus' name held high. We should follow that attitude and live for God's glory. And so the first P that it means, how do I commit? What do I do? Number one, pray for it. Pray for it. God is the one who will do this work. He is the one that will bring people to himself and grow him. We can't see 120,000 more people come to Christ through our own strength. This is not possible, but through God, he can. And so we want to be asking God for every person to come to know Christ, for, for his glory to be made known and, and to be coming to him in prayer. Uh, so come along to the prayer night tomorrow night at the Hub. Come and ask questions about the vision and, and actually spend some time praying. That's our first step. Commit to praying. Commit to praying for those that don't know Jesus. We, we've been talking about this thing called Five for Five, praying for five people that they would um, come to know Christ. We'd have opportunities of sharing the gospel with them. Commit to doing that asking God to give you chances to speak, to shine like stars in the heaven, to invite them to explain Christianity so that they might be standing firm in Jesus, confessing Him on the day He comes back, not when it's too late afterwards. But when I add something to that, I'd love us to be praying not only as a five for five for our non-Christian friends, but I want us to be praying for five homeless Christian friends. Now, what I mean by that is five Christians that don't have a church home. People that are kind of, yeah, I trust in Jesus. I'm a Christian, but I'm not really going to church at the moment. Or I haven't really plugged into a church. I haven't really settled. Actually pray for them and invite them to come along. Come and get involved with what what we're doing and what we're after and serving Jesus and being captivated by him. Come and be a part of this picture. And so to actually go, I'm not only just going to pray for non-Christians, which I think we're good at, but to pray for those Christians that don't have a home. And say, come, come, come and join. Come be part of what's going on. And thirdly, in this praying for it section, pray for our leaders. It seems to me that Satan hates the idea of churches committed to mission. He hates it. He hates people going around saying, guess what? God's won. The end is secure. And so he does everything within his power to put stumbling blocks in the way, to to tempt us, to test us, to pull us aside, to split things. And so pray that God would um, keep us as a leadership team, as your pastors, pure sexually, pure with greed. Uh, There's so many ways you can be pulled away from putting Jesus first. Pray that we would shine like stars and humbly lead God's people. Pray for the connect group leaders throughout church, for the same things. Satan loves to get in and cause divisions and, and, and see it where people are at one another's throat. Don't grumble, Paul says, but take on Christ's attitude, serve, love. Pray for the leaders that we wouldn't get caught in these things. And pray for us as a church, that we wouldn't get divided and split, but be united around Jesus' glory. That's what we need to look for. Number one, what does it mean? What what are my next steps if I want to be part of this vision? Commit to praying for it. Secondly, commit to stay for it. Pray for it and stay for it. See, stability is one of the keys to a healthy church. Because Christianity is about relationships, relationships with one another as we, as we walk together as Christians, relationship with our God. And as we see people come to know Christ, it takes years for people to recognize who Jesus is and what he's done. So we need to stick around. So what we're asking people to do is to commit to this vision by saying, I'm going to stick around in Auckland for this vision. Uh, Sarah and I, we've, we've committed to staying here in Auckland until at least 2030 saying, we're in. Unless for some health reason, uh, we need to go back to our parents in Australia. 
or, or, or the exec and the board of reference decide it's not the best thing for church's growth for me to be in this position as senior pastor, which I'd happily step back from. I'm like, sure, that's fine. I just want to be used by God in whatever way possible to see people come to know Jesus and grow in Him. But other than those two things, we're in. We're here. And we want to ask you guys to commit to that, uh, to commit to say, I'm going to stay for this vision. Now, that actually might mean moving. It might mean moving to uh, as the North Shore as we plant a North Shore plant. Or moving to... Um, so to Dunedin and go, yeah, we want to see this church plant in Dunedin. So what we're asking people to do is to stick to this vision that we're a part of for the year 2030 and go, how can I keep doing this? Now, to stay for it means more than just staying around. It actually means seriously plugging ourselves in. What does it look like to commit? Well, it's saying, I'm going to stay as a Christian. So I'm going to plug myself into God's word. I'm going to read the Bible every day that I can manage. So let God's word shape and mold me and make sure we're on the right path and we're testing everything against what he has to say. I'm going to stay and come to church every week I possibly can. I'm going to lock it in my diary and don't be like, oh, I'll just put it in there and see if anything else comes up. But know that that we need one another. We need to build one another up and invite people in and send one another out to see people glorify God on that last day. So committing to coming to church and saying, it's a, it's a, it's a solid thing for me. Uh, getting into a, a connect group. Uh, we say here at EV that you won't feel connected at all in church unless you're in a connect group. That's what we call them that. Connecting with one another and connecting with God through his word. But actually, rocking up to connect group, even when you're tired, that commitment to, to stick it out, to stay for it. So you might encourage the leaders to keep, yeah, keep opening the Bible every week. You might encourage that friend that comes along that's right on the edge of, do I trust Jesus or do I just give it up and, and fold in with the rest of society? And you rock up and you go, well, you know, I, I just was tired this week, but I came and I'm excited that Jesus did die for me and I need to hear this. This is good. Stay for it. Commit to being in a connect group where others and God's word will shape and mold you. And then get plugged into some formal way of serving. Staying for it means I want to commit to this vision. And so I want to commit to seeing it happen amongst us as a church. And one of the things that I've noticed over my time in Christian ministry is that um, people that aren't involved in some sort of formal serving tend to be temporary members of churches. I mean, they tend to be people that come along for a while, they're excited, but they don't get plugged in and kind of drift off somewhere else. So if you're not serving anywhere and you'd like to be with the skills and gifts God's given you and the opportunities you have, and you're like, yeah, actually, I'd love to think about that. Let us know on your Connect card. We've got a whole team of people in our ministry purpose that want to help people to get connected. Um, And so put it down. We want to help you to be able to serve for this with the skills and gifts and resources and opportunities God's given you and say, yeah, we're in. I want to see this, this happen. And as a result of this vision, we're actually launching three new positions across church. And you'll see a, an address on, on the screen right now called aucklandev.co.nz forward slash opportunities. At, at that place, we've got three new roles we're advertising for. Uh, number one, we're advertising for a, a communications coordinator, someone to help us as a church to be able to communicate better to the, to the world outside and within, making sure we meet the deadlines that we need to meet and making sure that our, our communication strategies and, and social media strategies happen on time. And happen really well. While we don't have a kind of physical presence in the community, uh, we've worked out we can actually have a large digital presence. And how great it would be to be able to communicate through those, not to praise the glory of EV, but so that people might see Jesus. And we might spend an eternity with them. Because Jesus deserves to be glorified. That's the first position. That's about 10 hours a week. That could be a paid or a volunteer role. So maybe think about if that's if that's you or someone that you know. Secondly, uh, we're advertising for a creative director. 
Now, what's that? Uh, A creative director is someone that it's overseeing our web team, our video team, our design team, our photography team, uh, some of our social media uh, production. It's basically a person who can do all that arty-farty stuff, right? All that stuff to make videos work way better than the ones that were up there and see them keep going forward. I'm only hustling myself. Anyway, um, so, so to actually be able to see our stuff go out, not so that people would see us again, but so they'd see Jesus. And so we might be able to communicate well and celebrate the stories of the way God's been working in and through us. Um, that, that job is, is, is a 30-hour-a-week job, and we're looking for a paid position to actually see that go forward, to actually do this well, to have the resource that we need. And the third area we're looking for is someone who's got amazing administrative skills, basically to help me. Uh, so as we grow as a church, uh, Vanessa used to have a role of helping organize my calendar and administration. So we're looking for an executive assistant for about 10 hours a week uh, to be able to help out in those areas uh, across church. So you might want to think through if any of those are something that you'd like to lock into and think about applying for. You can jump on the website, see position descriptions and see how to apply there. Stay for it is what, the we, what we need to commit to do. Uh, now, as you think through uh, what we should be like and how we should use the skills we have, it's easy to think, look, I'm not massively gifted. <laughs> That's what I think, right? I, I don't feel like I'm some inspirational superstar. I feel like I, I'm just average at a, at a lot of things. I've had experience at a few things, and you might be the same. And thinking, look, I'm just not good enough to, to be kind of that person. I, I, I'm not that inspirational kind of superhero or superstar. Point is, we don't need one of those. We've already got one. His name's Jesus. And he's died in our place and he's risen and he's done it for us and our future is secure. And he says, I'm giving you the privilege of joining with me in serving for the sake of the kingdom. A really helpful analogy I I, um, noticed a a few years ago, I was building a, um, a kind of fort for our kids in the backyard. And we're putting this fort together out of pallets uh, and our kids are helping, inverted commas, helping. But you know, it would have been way quicker for me to say, kids, you go inside, I'll lock the door and you can look through the glass at me do this all really well. And I'll be far kind of more happier because I won't have had all these issues there. But no, I said to them, look, I'd love you to come and help. And it took way longer and it wasn't exactly right. And there's a ran- I went inside for a bit to get a drink and came out and there's a random shelf nailed to the fence already. I'm like, what is that? They're like, we thought it looked good. But that's what God our Father does. He allows us to be caught up in his great project of seeing people glorify his son with the skills and gifts he's given us. And he allows us to be part of that. So to, co- to commit to this vision means to commit to stay for it, to plug in and, and, and to do it and to serve with what God has given us. So pray for it, commit to stay for it. And thirdly, we're going to need to pay for it. That's true. <laughs> we're going to need to pay for it. Everything that we've have is being given to us by God. You do recognize that, right? Our time, our intellect, the skills that we have, our money, the opportunities we have, all of it have been given to us for God and all of it is ultimately for His glory. That's why we have it. Think about anything that you have, there's nothing that you've kind of contributed, it's all God. The same with me. And what this 2030 vision is calling us to do is exactly what Paul says. It's to live this out sacrificially, to live out of the gospel by using all that God has given us. I, I used to think that the people that gave financially uh, big sums of money were like the superheroes of Christian ministry. Like, whoa, you gave away like heaps of money and that's amazing. You must have such an amazing gift of, of generosity and being so selfless. And then I read Philippians four fifteen and 16, 
which says that those that partnered financially with Paul in the sharing and the spreading of the gospel, those that gave to him will be the ones that profit from Paul's ministry. And suddenly it kind of clicked for me. I'm like, it's dumb to invest here. You're way better off to invest in kingdom growth because that's going to profit for all eternity where we're not just going to get more money or anything like that. We're going to be with those people forever. We're going to share in the glory of the Father and the Son and with those people who've come to know Jesus. See, the best investment you can make, the most secure investment, is not in your education or in your career or even in your family. It's in the kingdom of God. Because that is the only thing that will pass through death and be on the other side. Jesus says in Mark 6, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What do you treasure? What are you investing in? With your life, with your time, with the resources that are in front of you? This is a big vision and it needs big investment. To say, I'm in. So will you commit to being in? Counting the cost. See, to pay for it won't just be a financial cost. It'll be a cost of some other things as well. It might mean that you can't say yes to every other good ministry partnership offer that you get. You know, lots of people come and say, hey, come and do this thing for the gospel. Hey, come and do that thing for the gospel. Hey, come and do that thing for the gospel. What this means might might be that you're not able to do as much of that because you've picked a few that you think are really great investments and one being this vision here at Auckland EV saying, I'm in, I'm part of it. That's not saying don't give to any others. I'm saying absolutely we should. And 10% of everything that you give to Auckland EV goes outside of Auckland EV to support church planting, uh, to support uh, missionaries overseas, to think through how we can love and care uh, for the needy, both here in New Zealand and across the globe. We do want to be thinking bigger than us, but it might mean we go, actually, this is the area I've chosen to invest what God has given me in my local church to see what we can be used by God, to make a dent in the glory of God, we'll make, a, make it spread of the glory of God here in Auckland. It's funny, in society at the moment, there's this big craze word going around about us um, wanting to reduce our carbon footprint on society. And we're going to make a smaller carbon footprint as we love the world around us. Um, but when it comes to the gospel, we actually want to increase our gospel footprint on Auckland. And we want to do the opposite. We want the gospel to have a massive impact on the city of Auckland. And we want to do that through proclaiming the gospel of Jesus and training people up and planting churches across the city so that God might grow his kingdom for his glory. And so paying for it might come in, in, in the sense of not just financial, but in, in, in sacrificially giving up our freedoms so that others might know Jesus. Uh, of doing whatever it takes to be used for the kingdom, of considering, do I get sent? Do I go to the ends of the earth for the sake of this, this call? We'll pay for it in a number of ways. We'll pay for it in ways that you might not have thought through. And I want to I be honest and upfront with you about how we'll need to pay for this vision. Number one, we'll need to pay for it in a, a lack of comfort. It won't be comfortable. I don't think it was comfortable for Jesus to go up his position at the right hand of the Father, to take on flesh, to die in our place, and take on the penalty for what we had done wrong. Paul says, have, have the same attitude of Christ. We need to not prioritize our comfort, but Jesus' glory. Now, sometimes we like being part of a smaller gathering because a small gathering, you get to know people and you've got a lot of influence in it and it's kind of nice. But we need to make sure that we don't minimize our gospel footprint. 
If we just have small little gatherings, there's little gatherings here and here and here. We need to grow to see the, the biggest gospel p- footprint we can see on this city so that more people are spending eternity with Jesus. We'll need to pay for it by sacrificing our comforts. We'll need to pay for it by uh, levels of intimacy. We won't know everyone in the church the same way. If we grow as a church, we won't get to know everyone. And there'll be people that we don't know. And that's why we have connect groups where you can get to know everyone uh, in that connect group. But we have this phrase that we say, in Auckland AV and Uni Church, um, you won't know everyone, God willing, because God will keep growing us, uh, but everyone will be known. We want everyone to be known. We're not going to sacrifice that membership purpose that we still have. We still want people to be connecting. But at the same time, we're not going to sacrifice the gospel growth in God's glory. So that means we'll need to pay for it in a a reduced level of intimacy. It might mean that we need to say bye to some really close friends that we have and move to the North Shore to see a new church plant start because God has gifted you as a a kid's kind of, you've got great kid skills. And we actually need a kid's kind of coordinator or a kid's person on a team up there. So you go, you know what, I'm going to move. And there's some relationships that I'll get to see them occasionally, but it won't be the same level of intimacy. Look to the future where you know the score Jesus is one, He is Lord, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and you can spend eternity with one another when we're perfect and how great that will be. You won't have to put up with all my problems. You won't, I won't have to put up with all your problems. We'll actually be perfect. And how great will that be? So we're going to have to pay for it by a sacrifice of a level of intimacy. We'll need to pay for it in a, des- in, in a lack of democracy. This is an odd one, but I want to help you to understand this. As, as you grow larger as a church, you can't consult everyone in the church for every decision. Some people love going to small churches because you can just you know, have lots of influence and input. But as we grow, we're going to need the people that are, that are skilled and able to, to serve uh, and to lead in those areas, leading those areas well. Uh, to work as a democracy would be to grind to a halt. And we're going to get a church vote on everything that we do. Uh, it would mean that our, our leaders aren't doing their job. And as we get bigger, it means all of us, including me, need to get used to things happening that we didn't get a say in. We need to get used to another team leader running something, and I didn't get a say in all of that, and it ran that way. It already happens to me. There's a bunch of things that I don't even know how they work or how they happen. Uh, and I'm like, I don't know what happens there. People come and say, well, what's the process for this? And I'm like, I don't know. They're like, don't you ever see it? I'm like, yep. But there were people that were kind of here and running that really well, and I don't, I don't know how that works. There's things that we do as a church that wouldn't be my preference, if I was running it, I'd do it differently, but I trust the leaders that are in place and go, right, you can take it that way. There's there's plenty of those. And I think what I need to keep growing in and we need to keep growing in is letting God lead through the leaders that he has placed here amongst us and allow them to do their job well. As we coach and guide and and train and work alongside, there'll be a desire for democracy that we'll need to pay and we won't have. But we do promise that we'll always communicate. (laughs) We'll communicate with one another about the decisions we're making, and that's why we're employing a communications or advertising for a communications coordinator and a creative director. We want to make sure that we let everyone know what's happening with plenty of notice and be clear about that. So we promise we'll do our best to, to communicate in that. The other way that we need to pay for it is that church will never meet all our needs. We need to understand that. Auckland AV can never meet everyone's needs. Every single person has their own set of physical and spiritual needs. And, and there's always going to be more needs, both spiritual and physical, than we can fill. We just can't do it all. Not even Jesus filled all the needs of the people that he came into contact with on earth. You know that? He left places where there were still people who, who needed to be healed to preach the gospel in other places. And if Jesus can't, there's no, there's no way I can. And there's no way that we'll be able to. So we need to recognize that church is not about meeting our needs. 
but are building one another up in the way I can serve humbly like Christ laid down his life and, and pointing to Jesus' glory in all that we do and working alongside one another to do the best we can to love and care for those that are in our circle of influence. The danger is that we can start seeing evangelism and the Bible stuff as getting in the way of, of looking after people. This church, they're all about growth. They're all about growing and, and God's glory and they don't care about people. No, we do care about people. So much so that we're all about growth. So we care about people not going to hell. We care about people remaining in Christ and growing to be mature. We care about people connecting in membership and glorifying God in all they do and serving in ministry and being together on mission. We care about those things so much so that we won't be able to fill every need, but we'll be able to link arms with those around us in our connect groups and care for one another in that. We'll pay for it another way by stopping cynicism. Now, this is an odd one. It's not really a, 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 a sacrifice. It's a danger that we could come across. See, there's a natural distrust of other people's motives and actions that all of us have. I have, you have. That We're often looking for the worst and we're quick to kind of um, judge people's motives when the scriptures in, in 1 Corinthians tell us that we shouldn't judge others' motives. Only God knows the motives of, of a person's heart. Not even their own person knows those. We can judge on actions, on the way people act, but we don't know why they did it. So we must not be cynical when it comes to where we're going. We need to think clearly and helpfully, but we need to pay for it by killing our cynicism. Now, I'll just call out the things that we might be thinking. We might be thinking, this vision is all about Rowan's ego, right? Rowan just wants to see a big church and a great church and, and this grow, and it's all about him being in this place. Or you might be thinking, this is about EV being some massive church machine. They don't care about any other churches. They think they're the only church in the world, and they think that the only ones that God can work through. Or uh, you might be thinking that, um, you know, I've been involved in churches in the past that have had big visions and they've kind of crashed and this is just going to crash. So I'm going to stand back and watch the train crash and be like, I told you and be cynical on, on that level. And at one level, I can't blame you for thinking these things because leaders, they can be self-centered and about their own ego, definitely. And churches can have big dreams and come to nothing and we can become unloving. But the thing we need to come back to in all of this is what Paul says in Philippians 2. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about Jesus and his glory. That's why we're doing this. For the simple reality that we want more people trusting in Christ in the end. I want to pour out my life in whatever way I can to see as many people as possible trust Jesus. And my, my guess is that's what you want to do as well. And so we want to organize and operate to, to be the most effective we can be and to set big prayers before our God and ask him to do them because... Oh, we're jealous for his glory and we're jealous for people to trust him in the end. As we've talked through this plan with myself and Andrew and Lachlan and our exec and, and our connect leaders, the thing that we've said is not that we're definitely going to see this happen and it's all going to be perfect, but we want to give it a red hot go. We want to say, let's do it. Let's jump in and run and see what God might do through us. Hey, he might not use us. We might, in, it, by the year 2030, might be a church of 50 people. Uh, that might be the case and God would still be good and he would still be glorified. And he might choose to work through another church. And that's great. Pray for that too. Be brilliant to see another gospel teaching, Bible training church do this. But in the end, we want to say, Lord, here I am. Take me and use me for your glory. And actually want to make steps to be able to move forward to do that. And that's why we do it. Not for my sake, not for our sake as a church or for EV's fame, but for Jesus' fame and his fame alone. That is why we serve. If at any point it comes to us going, look at what I have done. Please, please repent. For all of us, myself included. It's about Jesus. And finally, it means paying for it 
financially. We'll actually need a sacrifice, to a, big, a building. That's a big sucker. Six million bucks. And last time I checked my back pocket, I didn't have six million there. I don't know. Maybe you do. We should chat. <laughs> Uh, we want to be able to give and go, okay, now you're, some of you are students, uh, that means giving now where you're at, thinking through how much you can give and, and how much you can go, look, God has given me what I have, how much can I give? And kind of push yourself in that to go, how can I be partnering in this? Give to this vision to see the gospel go out and to spread. Some of you will become graduates or in a workforce and suddenly you've got all this money. You used to have all this time. You were like, you know, time rich and money poor, but now you've got less time because you're working all the time, but you've got money. At that point, to go, how am I going to use it? Am I going to let my lifestyle creep to now? I was living so, so frugally before. I'm now going to go and you know, eat out every night and be like, whew, because I can. Don't let the creep happen. Go, well, what can I do to use what God has given me for the sake of the gospel? Uh, Sarah and I, we were both married uh, in our last year of uni. So we got married. Uh, we're both at university together. I loved it. It was great. Uh, then Sarah, I had a job and Sarah went and got a full-time job. Um, and I was still at uni. Uh, and then I got a job and we both just come out of uni. We were living on like a small amount of money, like 30 grand a year. Um, but then when we got jobs, we had a heap more money. And we decided that we'd put the bigger of the two wages totally aside and thinking through how we could use that to fund gospel ministry. And eventually that was used to see Auckland EV started as we'd come back and forward and see things happen here. And just we decided to live off the smaller amount and still give off the whole lot and think about how we could use God's um, funds that he'd given us for his glory. Invest in the kingdom. That's what Paul's saying. That's what Jesus is saying. So think through how you can, you can do that, whether that's back the building in some way. You might have some way of lending a house or some money or family, friends you might want to give that booklet to and say, hey, this is what we're doing in our church in Auckland. I'd love for you to pray for this and consider actually giving towards it if they're a Christian. We want Christians partnering with this. If they're not a Christian, invite them to church. Put them to Jesus. And don't talk about money. It's the last thing they want to see. They just see Jesus at the front and center. And so what we're going to do next week was we're asking everyone at church to this week consider pledging their giving. Now, we've done this as a church from the very beginning. We've, we've asked people to pledge how much they're going to give. And, and pledging your giving really is just putting down on a piece of paper that you would have received here. We don't want you to do it today. We want you to go away and, and pray about it and think about it. But put down on that piece of paper uh, the amount of money that you want to prayerfully commit to God and this vision here at Auckland EV for the next 12 months. Uh, the reason we're doing that really is for two reasons. One, it's really helpful for you to stop and think and prayerfully work out what you're going to give uh, from what God has given you, how you'll invest in the, in the kingdom here and how much you can go, yeah, let's, let's give that a crack. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that the, the grace of giving is something we should excel in. But secondly, it's tremendously helpful for our executive committee as we try and work out how to budget as a church. Can we afford that building? How much money is coming in? Well, at the moment, we kind of don't know. We can guess based on how much came in last year. It's kind of like going to work every week and, and not knowing how much you're going to get paid. So what we're asking church to do is to say, we want you actually to pledge what you're going to give for the next year. Now, you might not know that. You might have seasonal work. And so work out a conservative number where you think that's actually where I think I can get to. And if circumstances change, that's fine. We're not going to come chasing people. There'll be a small kind of financial team that will collate those, those figures and help us to work out our budget for next year based on them. Uh, but if circumstances change, that's fine. <laughs> what we want to do is give people an opportunity to go, here's what I think I'm going to be able to give. I'm going to prayerfully decide to do this much. What is committing looking forward to? Sorry, what does committing to this 2030 vision look like? Well, it's saying, I'm going to pray for it. I'm going to stay for it. And I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to be part of this vision. So, 
the future we need to hold before us as we move forward, as we think through what committing to this looks like, is stepping back and looking to Jesus, who humbled himself and sacrificed it all so that we could be forgiven and be saved. And in looking to his glory, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord and let those two things drive us in all that we do and say, yeah, I'm going to live for Jesus' glory. I'm going to speak the gospel, which is his power for salvation. I'm going to take every opportunity God has given us, and he's given us plenty of opportunities. We're on a uni campus with 60,000 students within kind of a two-kilometer radius on a, on, a, on a uni day. There are so many opportunities he's given us. We need to take those and say, Lord, I want to use everything you've given me. I want us as a church to use everything you have to serve Jesus with our all. So why don't you join me together in that prayer now? that Jesus' name be praised, that he be glorified, and that many, many, many people come to know him as we think through praying for it, staying for it, and paying for it. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful. We're so thankful that Jesus stepped into the world and died in our place, that he took the punishment that we deserve so that we don't have to face the wrath and anger of, of you for turning our backs on you. We confess that so often we don't let the the picture of the future you've given us shape the way we live in the present. That we get caught up in the things of the world and we don't kind of pop our heads up. We pray this day that you would help us to commit to shining like stars in the heaven. Living lives that are pouring out all the gifts you've given us and, and all of who we are for your glory and for the good of others. We pray today that you'd put before us this picture of Jesus and who he is and that would drive us as a church to think creatively and effectively about how we might share this news of Jesus. Help us to be able to serve and to be able to commit to inviting people along to hear about Jesus and to come to church and to grow and to be standing firm in Jesus in the end. Lord, when it all comes down to it, we, we ask that you would work in us and through us to see Jesus' name held high in this city, to see 120,000 more people trust in your Son, to see your church here at Auckland EV grow to 2,030 people, Uh, to see another four church plants happen in Auckland, another four outside of Auckland, to be able to see 30 full-time trained workers trained up and sent out, and to see us having a gospel training hub that will be sprouting out gospel workers and uh, integrating with the community to see people come to know you and grow in you. Lord, we ask you to do these big things, not for our glory, but for yours, for Jesus' name ought to be as famous as you treat it. Pray this in his great name. Amen.